you've got a Bible, open it up. Or have it ready. How about that? I usually don't do this. And by usually, I mean this is the very first time I've done this. We're going to have the Scripture on the screen. My preference is that you'd have the Bible open so that you can see the context and not just have to take my word for it. But there are so many texts that we're going to go through. I thought it would be helpful for the text to be on the screen. So we're going to try that, and we're going to see how it goes. Before we do, let's ask God again for his help. Father, apart from you and your son, we can do nothing. That's not an overstatement. We can do nothing. And so I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things for your, from your word. And I pray that as a church, we would be united around your mission to see people from every tribe, tongue, and language baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and taught to observe all that you have commanded. Oh God, would you work in us so that that's our mission. Help us now. We need your help, the help of the Spirit, and it's through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So here's the definition that we have used in the last five weeks. It may have only been mentioned the first week, but here's our definition of what a local church is. It's a big sentence. A local church is a group of believers who, for the glory of God, are committed to gathering regularly under qualified leadership to affirm one another's faith, to encourage one another through the word of God and the ordinances, and to seek the spread of the gospel to all nations. So that's our attempt to put in a little capsule what the New Testament says about a local church. After I wrote this, I thought, you should, you should actually notice what's not in there. There's nothing in there about style of music, is there? There's nothing in there about the kind of clothes that you wear. There's nothing in there about the size of your gathering. There's nothing in there about the order of your service. All of those things can be adjusted to your culture, your time. This is our attempt to put a definition in a capsule of what the local church is. Now, it's important to know how the New Testament defines a local church if we're going to be one, which we want to be. We want to be a New Testament kind of local church. That doesn't mean we're going to sing the way they did. It doesn't mean that we're going to meet in the exact same way that we did. But we want to do what's essential according to the New Testament. The New Testament, nowhere is there a verse with this sentence. You're not going to find that anywhere. But the New Testament does give us descriptions and commands about how we should relate to leaders and to one another that can't be filled any other way. Church is not just Christians. Those are not the same thing, church and Christians. If we know that God wants us to be the church, 
And all we think of church is Christians doing Christian-y stuff, we won't be the church. That's too vague. That definition, just Christians doing Christian kind of stuff, is too vague. There are more specifics in the New Testament. Imagine a world where you had never heard of a car. You had no idea what a car was. You'd never seen one. You'd never heard of one. And because you were a great builder, I come to you and I say, I want you to make me a car. And you say, well, what's that? And I say, well, it's something that moves and you can get inside of it while it's moving. Could you build a car with that information? No, no. Whatever you build probably won't be a car. There are specifics. Cars have wheels. Cars have engines. Cars can be steered. These five weeks, this is the last of a five-week series on the church, have been intended to help us learn what's essential, what's necessary in a local church. And we want to be specific so that we can be the church faithfully for Christ's glory. So today we're going to talk about the mission of the church. What is the church supposed to do? What are we trying to accomplish? So here are two, que- two big questions we're going to ask and answer. Here's the first one. What's your life's mission? That's the first question we're going to ask. What's your life's mission? And the second question we're going to ask is, how does the local church relate to that? So first question is, what's your life's mission? And the second question is, how does the local church relate to your life's mission? So here's my agenda. I'm just telling you on the front, this is what we're trying to do. I want to tie your life to the Great Commission. If you don't know what the Great Commission is, we'll get there. But I want to tie your life to the Great Commission and then... I want to tie the Great Commission to the local church. That's where we're going. So let's start with the first question. What's your life's mission? There are lots of ways that you could answer that from the Bible. There are lots of texts that you could go to to think, okay, what's my life about? What's the purpose of my life? Here's one. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. This is God talking. He says, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You were made for God's glory. You were made to show how great God is. That's what that text says. Here's another 2 Corinthians 5.15. Jesus died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. (laughs) You hear that? This is telling us a reason that Jesus came to die, and it was so that you would be freed from living for yourself and empowered to live for him. That's what your life is about. Here's another. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. So that means everything you do, do it in a way that honors God for his sake. In all your different passions, giftings, responsibilities, you are made and saved to live a life for God's praise. That's what your life is about. But there's an additional concern in the New Testament. And it shows up in lots of different places, but there's two verses in particular, I think, that summarize an additional concern that God has for us. Not just that you would live for the glory of God in your individual, personal worship to Him, but that you would also live to see others worship God. So here's that one verse. Here's the big mission we should pursue for God's glory. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. So this is the Great Commission. If you've never heard of the Great Commission, it's talking about these two verses. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is Jesus speaking right before he ascends into heaven to his disciples. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this means that we are called to go through life. Some of us are going to cross an ocean to do this. Some of us not. As we go through life, we are called to make disciples. That's actually the main verb in these verses, make disciples. It could be translated going, make disciples. That's the command. So as we go, maybe across an ocean, maybe not. We are to make disciples. That means followers of Jesus. That's our job. We're called to make followers of all Jesus, or followers for Jesus, followers of Jesus from all nations. That means from all the different kinds of peoples in the world, all the peoples who are separated by ethnicity and culture and language, we are to seek to make disciples of them. Which means, listen, God doesn't just want worshipers from your ethnicity. He wants them from all the peoples. And let that be a challenge for us. We live in a city, we live in a country where there are peoples from all over the world who need to hear what you have. And it may feel like, oh, I can't talk to that kind of person. Those aren't Christian type of people. We definitely can't talk to them. Or there's just, it'll be too difficult relationally. No, this is what Jesus is worthy of. It's what he calls us to to see all the nations made to be his followers. We have an opportunity here. They need to hear what you have. So we make disciples, as text says, baptizing them. So baptism is the sign that you have entered God's kingdom, God's family. So he's saying, lead people into a relationship with me by repenting of their sins and by trusting me for the first time. And then you teach them to obey all that I have commanded. That's what observe means, obey. 
So you bring them in and you teach them to obey all that Christ wants from them. That's the Great Commission. That's the big mission that all your other threads of your life are to be tied to. Do you know how a compass works? The needle on a compass, it's always pointing north. So if you follow the needle on a compass, you will end up at the North Pole, no matter where you start. Now, the path to get there will be extremely different depending on where you start. If you start in China, it's going to be a completely different path than if you start in Nigeria or the UAE. But you will all end up at the North Pole. All of us have different lives. We all have different responsibilities. We all have different giftings and passions. But we should all be moving in the direction of this compass, the Great Commission. You have lots of little missions in your life. Lots of little things that God wants you to do, and they're unique to you. You have specific responsibilities in your family or with your roommates or with your job or according to your living situation. All of them are supposed to be for God's glory. But the big mission that all of us are to be engaged in is making disciples of Jesus. Seeing them come to faith and then seeing them taught to obey all that he commands. You need to consider this. You need to consider for yourself, how does your life connect to this? How does your life connect to the Great Commission? That's the big mission of your life. It's not to make money. If you make money, how does your making of money relate to this? How does your family relate to this? How does your job relate to this? How does your living situation relate to this? I hope you know. And if you don't, my encouragement is figure it out. Consider this. How do all the little missions of your life relate to this? Making disciples of all the nations. You were made. This is what I'm arguing. You were made for this. To care about all the families of the earth becoming disciples of Jesus and growing as disciples of Jesus. And you won't be satisfied until your life is about that. Because Jesus is about that. And he is our life. And walking in step with this, with him, is where fullness of joy comes. What's your life's mission? It is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Okay, so how does the local church relate to that? Let's start with a little review. This was in the first week. I argued in the first week of the series that Jesus does not mean for us to be only members of the universal church. That's not all that Jesus has for us, is for us to just be Christians. But I argued that in order to be obedient to the New Testament commands and patterns about gathering with our entire congregation, submitting to particular elders, obeying the call to affirm and discipline unrepentant members, you can't do those things without being a part of a local church. 
That's what I argued. Now, the reason I bring that up is so that if you haven't listened to the sermon, you can go back and do that. It's on our website. And so that as we talk about this next text, we're going to Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. It's so as we go to this text where Paul is talking about your involvement in the life of the body, you don't think that he's just talking about you having a relationship with any Christian out there. That's not what Paul envisions when he envisions you being a part of Christ's body. He is envisioning you as part of a particular congregation with particular elders and leadership. That's what he's envisioning. And I can say that with confidence because that was his life's purpose to establish these local churches. Everywhere he went, he established churches like this, which meant at the end of his ministry, he didn't know Christians who weren't a part of a local body like this. So when he's giving commands about the body, we shouldn't just think, oh, all Christians everywhere. We should be thinking a particular local church. So that's by way of recap. Now let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 to help us answer that question. How does the local church relate to your life's mission to make disciples of all nations? And he, talking about Jesus, gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, let's work through this passage slowly. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying leaders, apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, are given to equip the saints. Now, when he uses the word saints, he's not talking about special Christians that you light candles to and pray to. He's talking about all Christians. That's what Paul means when he uses the word saints. He's saying leaders are given to equip Christians, all Christians, for the work of ministry. So all Christians, do you hear that? All Christians are supposed to be equipped for ministry. Just like we've been saying, all of us in here are supposed to be called to make disciples. Paul right here is saying, you are called to the ministry, whether you work for a church or not. We all are. Now, what does this ministry consist of? Your ministry is to build up the body of Christ. Do you see that in verse 12? So leaders equip you to do ministry to build up the body of Christ. Paul says, until 
we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So, we build up Christ's body by helping one another be united in faith. What he's saying is, you help each other believe the same thing. We're supposed to grow in all believing the same truth. And you're supposed to help each other grow in knowing the Son of God. That's what building up the body looks like. So you can build up the body by helping someone know Jesus for the first time and they become a part of his body or by helping someone who is a member grow in knowing Jesus. That's what we're doing when we do ministry. And Paul says that this prevents us, verse 14, from being tossed around by false teaching. You see that? Every wind of doctrine. So when we're doing this kind of ministry, we're trying to help people be united in the truth, and we're trying to help people grow in knowing Jesus more and more, we are freeing people from lies, the lies of this world, the lies of the flesh, our own deceitful desires, and the lies of the devil. And we're helping one another resist deceitful teaching. Paul is really concerned about what you believe. You may come to this, our services and you may think, okay, I wish you guys would give us more practical stuff to do. We spend so much time talking about what to believe. Why is that? Jesus cares about what you do. He really does. He cares about your life lived, what you do. But what you do only pleases him when it flows from true belief. When it flows out of a trust of the truth. That's what pleases God, and that's Paul's concern. I want you guys to be built up in knowing God and knowing the truth so that when lies come, you know it and you don't fall for it. It's that important in his mind. And then Paul tells us how to do this ministry. Okay, so leaders equip you to do ministry. That ministry is building up the body, becoming united in the faith, knowing Jesus more. But how do you do it? How do you help people grow in trusting the truth? By speaking the truth in love. Do you see that? Verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So ministry, the ministry that you're called to, all of us, ministry is building up the body of Christ by speaking the truth in love. That's how people get saved from every tribe, tongue, and language. When you speak the truth about who Jesus is in love to them, and that's how they learn to obey everything that Jesus commanded. You're called to this. God gifts the body. He gives different gifts to different members. We all know this, right? But you might think, well, my gift does not involve talking to anyone. I, I don't know, I have the gift of hospitality, I have the gift of generosity, but I am not supposed to talk. But Paul is saying, yes, you are. The ministry that all of us are supposed to be in is speaking. Speaking the truth in love to one another. But Paul doesn't stop there. 
he adds this crucial part to the end. He says, we grow into Christ, this is verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, the way the New Testament pictures ministry, discipleship, is not simply one person speaking to another. Not just one way. Ministry happens, according to Paul, when the whole body is speaking the truth in love. Do you see what he says? Each part is working properly. Each part is joining and holding the body together. That's how the body builds itself. So Paul is picturing a web of relationships here. It's not like a spider web. It's connected all over the place. And that's what Paul is envisioning, a church where each member is receiving input, not just from one person, top down, but where all the members are speaking the truth in love, this web of input. When I was in university, I was a part of a ministry that I really appreciate still, but the model for discipleship was you find somebody who's younger than you, you schedule a meeting once a week, you sit down with them, you give them everything that you have, and that's how you make disciples. Now, that's a good idea. It's good to meet with people regularly. If you don't, I would encourage you, try to meet with someone regularly. Work through the scripture together. Talk about life. But the New Testament idea of ministry is more than that. It's lots of input into your discipleship. You see that? Each part is speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow up. So, let's boil this down for what this means for your life in making disciples. I have four things here. The first is, disciples are made to grow in the context of a local church. Disciples are made to grow in the context of a local church. It's easy to read Matthew 28, 19 through 20 and think, okay, I'm supposed to make disciples. What program, what strategy can I come up to do this, come up with to do this? And totally forget that the New Testament gives a strategy for disciple making. According to this passage, Ephesians 4, the one we just looked at, we grow in a body with lots of members doing their part and all speaking the truth and love to one another. The local church is God's design for making disciples. Now, there are contexts where people come to faith and there is no local church or it's very difficult for them to be a part of one. That's true. But the local church is still the plan and we should aim for it as best we can. Here's the second thing this means. As you make disciples, you also need the church. Ephesians 4 is not saying that the way these relationships work is only for new Christians. No, it's, it's saying we all do. Unless you're an apostle, 
like Peter, John, Paul, people who have seen the risen Lord and have been commissioned by Him to plant churches, then you need this. You need to be a member of a body where this kind of all members speaking the truth and love to all the members is happening to you. God intends for your life outside of here. You've got a lot of life that happens outside of here and outside of relationships with the people in this church. God intends for that life outside of here to be made healthy through this body. That's what Paul is telling us in Ephesians 4. That's what the church is designed to do. You and I need it. Here's the third thing. The local church is a great witness for the sake of the Great Commission. Earlier in Ephesians chapters 2 and 3, So before we get to Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 2 and 3, Paul is explaining how Jews and all the other ethnicities are brought together in Jesus. They're not separated anymore. And that it is their joining together in the church that shows how wise God is. This is Ephesians 3.10. He's been arguing Jews and all the ethnicities together. That's what I'm about. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So God's wisdom is shown when people who don't belong together are united together in worship because of Jesus Jesus also says that people will know that we are his followers not by the love that we show to them. They'll know that we're followers of Jesus by the love we show for one another. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they know is the way that we care for one another. And it's not only our love, it's our unity. John 17, 20 and 21. Jesus is praying to his Father and he's saying, I do not ask for these only, just the 12 disciples, but I'm asking also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this means... That the church's love for one another and the church's unity with one another, especially among different ethnicities, people from different backgrounds, are some of our greatest tools in making Jesus known to unbelievers. Here's the fourth way the local church relates to your mission to make disciples. This is a long one. Try to follow me here. Jesus commands us to teach his disciples to obey all that he commanded. And part of that includes all the commands that can only be fulfilled by being a part of a local church. Do you follow that? If Jesus commands us to teach disciples to obey all that he's commanded, there's a good bit that Jesus commands as it relates to the church. Some of his commands are concerning church discipline, submitting to elders, 
and gathering together. So if we're going to teach people to obey all that Jesus commanded, we've got to teach them about the local church. The local church is not a side dish for your life's mission. Side dish. So a long time ago, I worked for a company in the United States that sold food. So food service companies in the U.S., they have a phrase in sales. It's called center of the plate. That's the the phrase, center of the plate. The way that food service companies sell to restaurants is by making the items that those restaurants serve at the center of their plate really cheap. So if you're a steak restaurant, the food company will sell you cheap steak because that's at the center of the plate. If you're a biryani restaurant, they'll sell you cheap rice and cheap chicken. But as you move farther away from the center of the plate, the food company will start charging more and more money so that even though they sell you cheap steak or cheap ingredients ingredients for biryani, they make up that money by overpricing their food that you serve as side dishes. So bread, butter. And the farther away you get from the center of the plate, the more overpriced things are. Napkins, cups, sauces. And you don't notice as a restaurant because your focus is on the center of the plate. You're just excited that you got a cheap steak or cheap chicken, cheap rice, because that's your focus. When it comes to discipleship and your mission to make disciples, the New Testament puts the local church at the center of the plate. I do fear, and it's, it is very easy for us in our thinking about our life's mission, what we're here to do, to think about the church on the side of that. The New Testament sees the local church at the center of what it means to be a disciple and how to make them. And what I want for us as a church is to believe, that, sincerely to believe, that God has designed local churches, members who are committed to one another, under qualified leadership, to be the main avenue of discipleships in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean your whole life is consumed by church programs and activities. I mean, honestly, we just don't think that's the best way to make disciples of all nations, for your life to just be calendared out with church events. We don't want to do that. But the church should factor not as a side dish, but as God's plan for discipling the nations for you. And every one of you, if Ephesians 4 is telling the truth, and it is, plays a vital role in that. Jesus died to forgive people from every tribe, tongue, and language, no matter what they've done. That's the gospel. If you don't trust in Jesus, that's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you, no matter your background, your ethnicity, who your parents were, no matter what you've done, if you will receive his death in your place. He died for that. And he died to give you the spirit of God to live inside of you. How amazing is that? He did that. He died and did that to make sure that as his disciple, you would grow and mature. Which means 
He cares more about making disciples than any of us. He died for it. And the way he's designed for disciples to be gathered and built up is in local churches where we speak the truth in love to one another. We've got a lot of good growing to do there. But that's how he's designed it. He died for that. It's his design for the nations, not just for the first century. It's his design for you. He died so that you could be discipled that way and so that you could disciple others that way. So lean into the local church. That's my plea as we close this series. Lean into the local church as we live for Christ's glory in making disciples of all nations. Let's pray.